Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. So today is a very special episode I've been really excited about. Today, you're going to get to meet Dr. Victoria Garcia Wilburn, who is currently serving as a House representative for the Indiana District 32. How exciting. Victoria strives to provide thoughtful and honest leadership for Indiana, and her greatest priorities are public health, public education, and public safety. So we'll be diving into these topics a little bit more today. Victoria is also an assistant professor of occupational therapy in the School of Health and Human Sciences at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. For all my Indiana people, you might know it as IUPUI. I'm excited for you to see her passion and her commitment for creating positive change for Hoosiers. So with that, welcome, Victoria. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course, we are so excited to have you. We scheduled this out a few months ago, and I've just been excitedly waiting for this day. Um, But to kick it off, since it is a special guest episode, I love to start with a question of the day. I think it's kind of fun. Um, And they just get to know you a little bit outside of some of the things we'll talk about that are a bit more serious. So I'll answer first to give you time to think about your response. But today's question of the day is, what is your favorite place in Indiana and why? So I'll kick it off. I love love that question. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And I know you probably have a lot of different places that come to mind. Um, Immediately, I thought about Turkey Run State Park. I adore it there. I am a big nature person. So for anyone looking for hiking spots in Indiana, I promise we're a lot more than just cornfields. We got a lot of them. Um, So Turkey Run State Park is absolutely beautiful. Waterfalls, natural trails, bridges going across the big water. You can go tubing. Highly recommend it. So that's my favorite place. But what about you, Victoria? Sure. My favorite spot is actually somewhere super close, um, not too far away. So I'll give you two because I'll do one in district and I'll do one that we just love as a family. So my favorite in district spot is actually um, the Monon Park. Uh, and I have so many fond memories of taking my kids to the water park when it opened. And they've got this great little lake that now I'd like to take my son fishing and just beautiful trails. And so my, uh, me and my daughters are all runners. And so we frequent the trails there at the Monon Center. So it's just a fun place. And then our favorite place as a family, uh, still quite locally, is um, 100 Acres at the um, IMA, which is now called New Fields. Um, so that's our art museum. Um, and just, again, lots of good memories there of you know, being on the swings. And uh, we take quite a few runs around the lake, which is fun, too. And it's just this beautiful little sanctuary in the middle of a very busy city. So those are my two spots. Wow, I love that. That sounds absolutely beautiful. The Monon Trail is amazing. I'm obsessed with David Goggins. I don't know if you've heard of him, but toughest man alive if you Google him. And he ran there, and that's where he did most of his training. So so beautiful. Um, That was kind of our light topic to start, but now we're going to dive into some things about politics and hopefully some people can actually get excited about politics. I know when I hear you talk about it, it does excite me a lot. 
And I love to hear stories. So I think the stories are really powerful and captivating. And I'd love to start with your story today. So would you be willing to share your story of how you got into politics and where this passion for serving really originated? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I think um, I grew up in a family that was just dedicated to their community. And so we really lived on the golden rule of love, love your neighbor as yourself. So my dad was always out helping, you know, whoever of my neighbors needed help, either shoveling the snow in the driveway or picking up leaves in the fall. And my mom was always the first one to bring a neighbor a home cooked meal when things were, were tough or um, when things were being celebrated. So like the birth of a baby or the death of a loved one. And so they just really taught me to be um, very good community, you know, stewards of our community. And then one of my most vivid memories is my father running for um, an office or a position in his union. And so he belonged to a local union. He was a cement mason um, for his entire career. And his voice was very uh, well heard, well listened to. And so he thought it might be a good time to step into some leadership there at his union. And I just remember him campaigning and and just thinking he was so brave to do this. And although he didn't win this position, it just taught me a lot. And so those are really the fondest memories of like the importance of engaging in um, democracy and ha- you know even at these pseudo levels and having your voice heard. And uh, again, you know, to, you know, being a daddy's girl, one of my best memories is, and I, this is probably not normal. I don't think most kids enjoy this. Um, now that I have my own. So now I kind of see like maybe there was something special about me from the beginning in a way that um, I didn't quite identify. But I loved watching the nightly news with Peter Jennings um, when I was a kid with him. Like that was our thing. We would gather around the television at 6 p.m. and watch nightly news with Peter Jennings. And I remember when Peter Jennings actually passed away in college, it was like losing a member of my family because it was just such a fond memory and my dad would help me understand world issues and national issues and we would talk about them and um, I remember staying up late and watching the results of campaigns um, throughout my childhood and so we were just a really um, engaged family recognized the importance of our elected officials and whether we agreed or disagreed with them we understood the power of our vote and so I think all of that started very early for me. And so when this opportunity arose um, to be involved myself, I really felt like it was quite an honor to step into that space. And so, um, you know, being able to use my voice in a different way outside of my classroom, um, in a different way than just advocating for my profession, um, now taking the consideration of a whole um, constituency, which has been an honor, truly. Wow, that is such a beautiful story. And the connection you have with your family to it is just so incredible. I can't even imagine those nights getting so excited watching um, the TV and watching the news. I know not every kid does that. (laughs) Absolutely not. But I think that's that God-given calling that's in you and that passion that originated so early, which is so lovely to hear. Uh, And I'm sure there are many amazing things in that story, but I'm sure there were also challenges along the way as you were getting into it. So what were some of the biggest challenges and how have you overcome some of those challenges of getting into politics? Sure. Well, I think oftentimes we think of political positions as being unattainable. And so that was such a a goal kind of of our team is like, let's remind 
people that our legislature is supposed to be a constituent-led legislature, right? A citizen-led legislature. That the reason why it is, you know, only a half-year um, active session is because we want people from all different um, sectors to come together and think about, you know, bring together these brilliant thoughts and ideas to make our state a better place for everyone. And I think we've lost our way a bit. You know, I think we have really formed politics to be something that's unattainable and deeply rooted in money and not so much about um, people's voices and, um, you know, the different just nuances of, of getting involved, et cetera. And so that was one of the biggest goals for our um, team was to break down those barriers. Re uh, remind people that your elected officials actually work for you um, and that, you know, it's not the other way around. I'm not bringing my own special interests to the table. Um, I'm listening to the voices of my community and I'm um, making sure that my votes reflect our community um, and, and not necessarily always a party line, a hard party line. Um, and my allegiance is to the people. And so um, I think I've really made good on this promise this last year, but I would say that was, you know, one of the most difficult things is coming in as a no name, no previous political experience candidate and really seeking a claim of like, this is about leadership and I'm the best leader um, for this position. And so I'm, I'm glad that uh, my constituency has really held me in that high regard. So, yep, just be yourself. That's the biggest takeaway from the message. You know, try not to be anyone else but yourself. I absolutely love that takeaway. And I love what you said about my allegiances to the people. I think that's so huge about your mindset and your mentality about representing all the voices of the people that you should be representing. Um, and I think a lot of people listening that probably resonated with them because some people do feel a little hopeless that it's all about money and that there aren't people there trying to represent the people. And there are many people like you. And that's why I want to highlight voices like you and what you're doing for the state of Indiana and hopefully encourage more people. I remember at on the event where I first met you, you said something along the lines of if you don't see the type of people you want in those positions, be those people. Um, and you're one of those people. So I think that's so incredible. And obviously, there's been challenges, but I'm sure there's also been such rewarding experiences. So do you have an experience or a story that has been one of the most rewarding things about being in politics yet or a change that you've made that has been so rewarding? Yeah, I mean, I think about two. Um, I'll talk about the one most recently. So um, I was on a piece of legislation that helped to eliminate the barriers to adopt uh, children that are um, surrendered in baby boxes. And what is probably not known to the public is that once uh, children previously, when babies were surrendered to boxes, they would enter then the foster care system. And they might be living in two, three, four, five different homes before they were placed and they're forever families and just really because of a small technicality. And so what happens now after this piece of legislation has been enacted is that uh, babies get to go to a foster to adopt family right away. Um, and so those babies can be placed in a forever family much sooner. And, you know, there are Good, good reasons for that. And there may be some hesitancy reasons around that. But as a, as a mom who um, also was a, a mom to children that were not my own, so I belonged to a foster care deflection organization, uh, the best thing was receiving that text saying a baby was surrendered this week and that baby is already with what we think will be their forever family. And thank you for your support and work on that. 
just like hit me really hard. And um, I just felt really grateful to be a part of that and grateful to provide another perspective um, to my caucus, grateful to listen to the constituencies, the constituents that brought this concern to my attention. Um, and, you know, I made good on that promise of like, let's get a meeting, let's meet with other legislators, let's tell them about this problem and to see a solution resolved in one session was quite remarkable. So it just gives me kind of goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, and then obviously the second one is super personal to us and, and our household, um, you know, passing my first law this year as a freshman, uh, not, you know, really knowing all the ropes, but doing it because good work should be passed. And so now, um, you know, beginning next year in 2025, uh, all public safety officials will receive um, training that is really specialized for their professions in regards to their mental health. Uh, suicide is actually the leading cause of death. Um, for active duty police officers and firefighters, which is not uh, very well known. And so I would hear stories after stories from, you know, people in um, fire professions and policing professions about how their mental health has been affected and how nobody leaves um, service the same way they entered it. And that really, that really caught me because I think we think a lot about our veterans and our armed forces and our military personnel quite readily but we less are, are likely to think about the daily, you know, the small T traumas, the daily traumas that our police and fire witness. And um, I'm glad that we're bringing this to the forefront. We're actually only one of seven states to have a piece of legislation like this. So Indiana has the opportunity to lead in this mental health space when it comes to first responders. And so uh, my, you know, I make no, I'm not ashamed about it or to share it, but you know, my husband retired from his career of policing due to post-traumatic stress injury. And so to see his, you know, journey to recovery and treatment um, throughout these last few years has been remarkable. So I want that for every family. I want, I want there to be less early retirements. I want uh, people to be in these professions for as long as they are mentally healthy and, and well, and I think we're better communities for it. So those are the big wins. Um, those were the things that get me up in the, in the morning when I feel you know, a little low on energy. I just am reminded that there's so much good work that our communities don't know about because we tend to focus on the things that might, um, you know, be more more negative or or more uh, consumer, you know, uh, appeasing to the consumer. And so, let's let's spread more good news. That's my takeaway. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Many people think the news is all the negative things, the shooting is going on, all the things that we want to fix in the country, but we don't highlight all of the great things that are going on. There's actually an app called Good News. So if you want the good news, that's actually being highlighted. And I love that you focus on those things and the changes you can make because not many people do know about the high suicide rates and the mental health that goes into those professions and it's overlooked. So I'm proud that Indiana can be one of those seven states and you've been able to make such a change. Um, and not to forget about the first story, also goosebumps, imagining what it's like to have that text message. So thank you for being one of those people who spread the good news and make that great change in the state of Indiana and hopefully encourage some of those other states to follow along. Um, and I imagine listening to these stories, some people are wondering, you know, maybe I could make that change in politics and maybe there is room for me to make a positive change in my community. So if there is someone listening who is curious, maybe female, maybe not female, but they're fearful of imagining a career in politics, because like you said, the money, the power, things that might discourage them. Do you have any advice to them for how they could maybe consider politics as a way to change their community? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a, a ton of different networks that can support your journey, and um, I wish I would have been um, invested in some of these groups uh, before coming into office. But you know, there's a, a lot of different barriers, particularly I think for women to run. Right, um, women have a lot of different responsibilities um, and a lot of different things that maybe are aren't as hard for men to step in these spaces, like. I think about childcare, the desire to have children, um, to not have children, to have careers, to have successful careers. I mean, there's a lot of um, complete uh, competing energy for our time. But I would say, you know, find um, a a political, a local political club that that you like. You know, whichever your affiliation is, and get involved. Um, get involved and figure out, you know, who the people in charge are, who are the leaders. Figure out what those agendas are. Um, maybe they value, maybe they align with your values, maybe they don't, you know, really be an independent decision maker in that. And then, you know, once you find a party that suits you, really lean into that and um, try to uh, find people that are like-minded and and really live your, you know, live your values, show what your values are. Um, you might find that other people feel the same way and they just were afraid to speak up or afraid to say anything and start to volunteer yourself. Um, I went through a phenomenal democratic grooming program for women called Who's Your Win Forward. Um, it's a phenomenal program and I would highly recommend it to any uh, woman uh, who is thinking about entering political spaces. It really makes it less scary when you're doing it together. Um, and so that was, I was really fortunate to be a part of um, a class uh, early on and using all those tools and skills to this day has been phenomenal. So, you know, get involved locally and get involved for yourself personally to grow your own leadership. And then uh, lastly, I would recommend getting behind a candidate. That's the best way to figure out, you know, what, uh, what does campaigning look like? What are the strategies involved? How does it work, um, et cetera. And so there's an opportunity to do that right now in everybody's own back door as Indiana is, um, you know, looking towards the municipal elections here in 23. Thank you for sharing such actionable steps and maybe resources people have never heard of, which is incredible. I know that definitely resonated with some listeners, but I imagine other listeners are like, well, I know politics isn't for me. I don't like to speak, whatever it may be that's holding them back, but they still really want to make a change in their community. Do you have, you know, maybe a quick tip of how they could still go about making change in their community, even if it's not through politics? Yeah, I mean, I think whatever you're passionate about, you can get behind, right? So um, I meet with young people often about their passions, and they like to share their passions with me. So if you don't know who your state representative is, give them an email, write them, request a meeting. Again, that reminder that we work for you. So tell us your passions. I had a young woman meet with me about her passion for um increasing advocacy for women with autism and other neurodivergencies. And I said, phenomenal. Let me point you to some organizations that you are doing some incredible work in the autism space. And so that's what our office really strives to be is a resource for people. So share with us your passion. You know, another young woman shared her passion about um, eliminating the period tax. And we said, absolutely, that is something um, that, you know, people in my party have been championing for a very long time. Um, until we can make that change, here are some phenomenal community organizations that are working together to eliminate um, barriers to uh, sanitary products during uh, menstrual periods. And so, 
you know, there's a, a phenomenal that your offices should be phenomenal resources for you and should point you to whatever your passion is, um, mainly to nonprofits and nonpartisan groups that do really great work in our state. Thank you for highlighting that. I think so many people immediately try to find the nonprofits or they feel lost with where to start. And I think that's such a clear direction of how they can make that connection, but they don't have to go into politics to do it. Um, So thank you again for sharing that. I really want to dive into some of the main priorities that you have. um, And one of them was public health, something that I'm passionate about having an undergrad degree in public health. Um, And I had the privilege to meet you at a Women for Change event. So shout out to Dina Martinez for getting me to those events and connecting me with this organization. Um, And I witnessed your passion for healthcare and public health. So I know in Indiana, personally, we're really looking to improve our health ratings. The CNBC rated our state a D minus on life, health, inclusion. So we're having work to do, which is great. You know, we have room for improvement. Um, And in counseling, which is where I'm majoring now, we ask kind of the magic question all the time. So for instance, if I was a genie and I could grant you one to three somewhat realistic wishes. So it can't be like world peace. What would you like to see changed in our state? And how do you think we could get there as a state with public health? Oh my goodness, I love this question. Um, I think I might just tell you one thing because it's that big. It would cover three wishes easily. Um, I, I, you know, we don't have to look too far. So uh, Massachusetts has been doing this for several years and you can see what a phenomenal, um, what phenomenal outcomes they now have as a state in regards to health indicators. But, um, you know, children have health insurance needs and all children should have access to the most quality medical care around and community in place uh, facilities to receive services. We know that when um, children have access to sound healthcare within their community, they have better long-term health outcomes, including mitigating chronic diseases. And so Massachusetts offers universal uh, children's health care to everyone, irrespective of um, income level. And so to have that option of having, you know, a supplemental insurance for children, um, you know, so many childhood diagnoses arise that really can be financially debilitating for families. And so to have kind of this uh, safety net, if you will, is really transformative for all um, families. And so we can take care of our children. And we can grow a healthy population. And so, gosh, I would love to see Indiana take steps towards ensuring um, medical health insurance for every single Hoosier child in our state. And that would be uh, my three wishes and one, because I know that would be a huge pull. But, you know, I think we are at a great starting point. You know, we have almost $7 billion in surplus. And I can't think of a more family-friendly piece of legislation than offering healthcare children, uh, health insurance for children. I love that. And I love that, you know, it's already been modeled in other states. We already have a great guideline of how we can do this. You've seen the outcomes of it. And I think that's so exciting knowing there's that surplus of money in Indiana and people who are really rooting and championing for this cause. Um, And I know that children and adolescents are such a passion area for you. Um, I saw one of the quotes, I think it was on your Twitter maybe, but it said, I will always advocate for more ways to help our kids, period. Um, You know, end of story, that's such a mission of yours. So I'm curious, you know, what are some of the greatest barriers that people do face with healthcare for their children, for their adolescents? And obviously you mentioned universal healthcare, but are there resources or things that parents can do now to start helping with it until we do have that universal healthcare? 
Yeah. Um, and that's not, that's not hyperbole for me. Um, I've been working in youth spaces for a long time, um, both as an academic and researcher, and now as a legislator, being able to supplement um, that knowledge um, to our, our state legislature has been, I think, a really good asset to both parties. Um, you know, right now, um, our, our youth are actually facing one of the most severe mental health crises that we've ever seen. Um, you know, I think that there was a, there's a lot of reasons why, and we can point to a lot of reasons to why, but we have to now think about solutions. And so um, there was a piece of legislation this year that would have actually cut um, the ability for our, our school nurses to um, give assessments uh, to gauge, you know, a, a, the, men, uh, the young health of a young, mental health of a young person. And I just think about how disastrous that would have been if that would have passed. Um, you know, our, our schools are our, our kids' second homes, right? They spend a majority of their time in their school. And if we can continue to lean into that and to provide them resources, of course, with parent enrollment, of course, with parent permission, um, but having that access is a game changer for so many. And, and not just people that are on the fringes of things. I mean, I think about our family, you know, middle class, run of the mill, everyday family um, with two working parents and the barrier to getting my kids to doctor's appointments and counseling appointments and dentist appointments um, can be difficult for a, even a well-resourced family. And so if there were opportunities that my children could partake in receiving more um, public health approaches to their mental health at school, which is really kind of the model that um, our federal department of education is pushing towards um, with the state's help, I think we could see phenomenal gains in, in that quality of life. Um, mental health really is related to academics and productivity in society, employment levels, everything. And so um, I wanna keep championing spaces, places and spaces where we can see more access to mental health services and providing that workforce infrastructure. Absolutely. I think that's huge. And it's undeniable that mental health has become such an issue, especially even at earlier ages. Now we keep seeing it earlier and earlier. Um, and I think that's incredible knowing that, you know, that's the behind the scenes. Most people don't know go on that. You made sure that that didn't pass, that nurses can still do those assessments and we can monitor the mental health of our kids. And I love what you said about being in alignment with the parents too. You know, we want to involve them as much as possible because we know that's the best way. Um, that way you're, you know, tackling at home, you're tackling all those hours in school, which is wonderful. Um, so that's a lot with the children and adolescents, but I know you're also very passionate about women and healthcare for women. Um, and I heard you talk a lot about that at Women for Change. Um, on that panel that you spoke on, they talked a lot about how the United States has one of the highest infant and mort maternal mortality rates compared with any other high-income country. But the kicker is that we spend the most on health care, and that's really alarming. So one of the most highly debated issues right now is abortion. Um, we constantly see our state going through this, um, as many states are going through bans and awaiting outcomes of petitions. Um, and some states have already had full bans and there have been consequences of doing so. So based on some of the impacts that maybe you've seen in other states, what are some of the potential consequences you think we might experience in Indiana if we do have that full ban on abortion and lack those resources? Yeah, I mean, I've always taken the stance that abortion is health care. 
Um, and the government does not interfere in, in hardly, I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure one exists. I try not to speak in absolutes, but, you know, decisions that are made in a doctor's office need to be left up to the doctor, the physician, the patient. Um, and the, every healthcare decision is a personal decision. And, and, and we really, you know, it's as simple as that. And so I think about what a very dangerous um, precedent this could set, you know, if, if this goes into full effect as it has been, um, as the law had stated previously. I mean, look, people in my party, this happened before me, um, so, but I know that people in my party have, have championed, you know, try to encourage ballot initiatives to, to let the people decide you know, what, what is good for our state, et cetera. And those were left, you know, um, unheard. And so elections have consequences and, and the consequences to elections um, have, have had this consequence. And so um, moving forward, I think the only thing that we can do is to really think about how to protect other aspects of healthcare um, in a way that allow for that medical freedom and autonomy um, in every in every space and place in our life, you know, um, and I think because the evolution of science and medicine happens so rapidly, our our laws can't often reflect that. And so I just want to make sure and always ensure that people are receiving the best evidence care medicine um, they have access to. And I don't want to see any further infringement on that right and ability to make sound medical decisions. And so. Um, that's my stance on that, and um, I will continue to try to protect other healthcare spaces to the best of my ability. Absolutely, and thanks for sharing that stance on it. I know there's a lot of different opinions about abortion, but I love what you ultimately said is, you know, what happens in healthcare should be a decision between you and your doctors behind the doors, and I think that that's just a really powerful message across the board with every issue when it comes to healthcare, because um, the doctors are the experts, truthfully. Um, so, for anyone listening, Victoria was talking about how she always does her best to listen to those voices. So maybe that is a cause um, that my listeners are passionate about. So voice those concerns, voice those needs, voice your stance on that, because um, she really is here trying to listen as well as her party. Um, before we switch to public education, because I do want to get there, um, but I know I saw a resource about new pharmacy resources that have to do with contraception. So would you be willing to share a little bit more about that new resource? Because that's very exciting. Yeah, it is. It's it's super exciting. And so thinking about the availability to um, purchase over-the-counter contraception, I think it's a huge game changer for women. Um, I also want to highlight a couple other resources that are probably not as well known. Um, there is actually exists in Indiana a mom's helpline, which I really, you don't get to hear much about. And so I want this opportunity um, to share that because we know that uh, post-maternal, post-apartum um, issues are often underreported. And moms sometimes just need a safe place um, to, to talk about if what they're feeling is normal. And so each woman's uh, experience is unique. And so you can dial 1-844-624-MOMS and you'll be able to speak to a qualified healthcare provider about your issues and what you're experiencing and some of your baby's issues um, as a free resources for Hoosiers. And another free resources, a free healthcare resource that we don't talk about is the Believe in You campaign. Um, and this one is near and dear to my heart because it really um, falls in alignment 
uh, for youth mental health. And so you can text um, 877-861-6807-BU. So that's one word, B-E-Y-O-U. And you can get daily um, inspirational messages. There are check-ins on your mental health, um, thinking about the power of positive thinking and mindfulness. Um, again, a free resource uh, to really try to kind of keep you in a positive mindset and thinking about the future and choices and all of that. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't um, plug the 988 suicide um, crisis prevention line that is now um, enacted in our state. So uh, dialing 988 will connect you to a person to call um, when you're feeling those moments of distress that maybe you couldn't get into her, your counselor, maybe you don't have a counselor, maybe you're at a breakthrough moment and you really need um, access to some quality professional care, 988 is there um, to kind of connect you to further resources. So want to also highlight some other free resources that I don't think get enough attention. Absolutely. And I haven't even heard of the first two resources. So thank you for sharing those with me. Um, absolutely there incredible. You go. Yeah. Learn something new every day. And I will drop those in the show notes for anyone listening. That way you don't have to quick scribble down those numbers. They'll all be there for you to access readily. And I'm so happy to know that we have those resources here in Indiana. So, so much about public health and so much that you have been doing for our state. I want to shift over to public education a little bit. Um, so going back to some of those CNBC ratings, we had a D plus on education. So a little more up, but again, things that we want to do to improve our public education, because that's where our kids at, are at. That's where they're spending so much of their time. Um, and I definitely have a lot of passion for changing health and physical education classes, um, talking about things like sexual health, making people motivated for lifelong health. Um, those are definitely goals of mine. But I'm curious what do you see as maybe the greatest potential for change for our public education as a whole? The greatest potential for change. <laughs> That's a phenomenal question. I, yeah, I think they're, gosh, it's like what one, what one thing is the greatest potential. You know, I just want to see us going back to doing good work for our children. And I think in recent years, um, the school board has been, um, there's been this infiltration of hyper-politicization to our school board. And there's just, you know, that's just, again, a very dangerous, slippery slope. Um, we have to be invested in expressing our opinions uh, on school boards because we care about the best interests of our children, not hyper-polarized political agendas. That is not the time and place. There are several other um, appointed and elected officials of government that you can seek those offices. Our school boards need to be left alone. Our school boards need to focus on um, the communities in which they serve, um, how to structure the um, best communities for um, children, and innovative and creative ways to support public education. Um, and I know a lot of communities face referendums. You know, that's another way in which they can support um, their public finances for education. And so that's one thing I want to see a return to is let's go back to doing the good work for our kids, um, for the interest of them, um, not uh, about some mythical time that we think exists um, in the good old days. Uh, you know, that's, that's such a very, it's, it's such a very misleading phrase. There really was no good old days. I mean, we are, uh, we're still an early country um, evolving and developing and um, really trying to provide the best for everyone 
Um, every American needs the opportunity and potential to succeed. Um, every Hoosier deserves a, a quality education, irrespective of income. That's why you will always see my voting record reflect um, a strong public school, a strong public school, because that is the greatest equalizer, continues to be education. And so uh, there are reasons why people move to certain communities, and, and that biggest reason is the school system in which they can offer. And so I hate to see our school systems under attack and under threat, and we've seen what that has done to some communities, and it, it's very, it's very sad. But we have the opportunity every few years to voice our 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 stance and to elect officials that um, we're going to promote educational equity and that will represent a nonpartisan school board. I love that that is such a passion of yours and has kind of consistently been where your vote and your voice is, because those are the kids who shape our future. Um, it truly is so important to invest in them. And I love what you're saying about the school boards, making sure every question is, you know, what is best for the children? Because that's really what it is about. And I think at the core, if we can do that, that guides all the choices to improve our public education. So thank you for sharing that. I also do want to touch on public safety, because I know that's another issue across our entire country, but also Indiana is that public safety. Um, and in Indiana, guns are a leading cause of death for children and adolescents. And I love to get to see you on social media wearing your orange to end gun violence and all those things. But I'm curious, are there laws or recommendations that you would like to see to improve public safety? Yeah, I think my colleagues have been doing a phenomenal job. And I'm just going to highlight some of their work right now, because again, this is the good work we don't highlight. This is the good work we're not talking about. So I um, was, uh, was so thrilled to be able to support uh, Rep Gore and his legislation um, to mirror federal law in um, the illegality of, of Glock switches or conversion switches. So uh, conversion switches make um, handheld guns more lethal. And, you know, the the purpose of a conversion switch has no other purpose but to make rounds shoot faster. And, and that's a very frightening thought. These pieces of equipment were actually and are able to be 3D printed in people's own homes. And so now we have parameters in place to empower law enforcement because we've taken away law enforcement's ability um, to you know, uh, ask for somebody's permit to carry. We've eliminated that. So we've replaced it um, in something with something I think I say we, but I really don't mean we, so I'm going to backpedal for just a minute. So the Indiana General Assembly before my time, um, as you know, is, is, has a supermajority. And unfortunately, the supermajority allowed for permitless carry to be enacted in our state against the advisement of law enforcement um, professionals really throughout our state. So we've taken away a very critical tool for law enforcement. The goal of this piece of legislation was to add a tool back. Um, so Rep Gore and I thought very thoughtfully about this. We met with all of the stakeholders and we were so pleased um, when this passed both chambers and then signed by the governor. I could not be more thrilled for my colleague and he rightly deserves so much of the positive recognition that he's getting. And so thank you Rep Gore for allowing me to be on that piece of legislation to help you champion that. And then my colleague Representative Bauer um, has also been very effective this session and has, you know, now we have some educational material going home to families that own, own guns, um, that own guns and own firearms and reminding them about safe storage. And so it's a very small step to a much larger picture. 
But that's what Democrats do. Uh, Democrats do good work for all people. And um, I'm just so proud of the work that they're doing. Um, responsible gun ownership is actually a thing that can be accomplished. And so we want to empower families and households that own um, guns. You know, we come from a law enforcement family. There were, there were guns in my home that were safely stored. My husband owned, you know, firearms. They were safely stored. And so you can safely store your weapons and keep them out of precious hands, really. And Indiana has lost too many toddlers and young children um, to firearms that were not safely stored. And so we have made national headlines because of that. And so let's be better. Um, let's find more ways to, for safe gun ownership and let's continue to take the guns out of the hands of, of, of violent people, violent criminals. Thank you for sharing that history of how the laws have kind of unfolded in Indiana. I think that's really important for everyone to know. Um, and if my listeners aren't in Indiana, also thinking about your state, do they have these type of laws? What is that like and how is it unfolding there? I'm really happy that you brought up the safe gun storage because obviously it's sad to see anyone pass away from a gun-related death, but especially when it's something that is so avoidable as just guns being improperly stored and losing lives, especially children, it's really alarming. Um, and some of that kind of resonates with other states having bills like Ethan's Law, which is, again, just gun safety laws about proper storage of guns. So for anyone listening, you know, if you do have the guns in your house, thinking about how they can safely be stored, that's such an easy, actionable step that we can do to make sure that we don't have these accidental deaths uh, that are very preventable. Um, the last thing I want to dive in is just the interim study committees that you have. I know we're on this legislative break and you're assigned committees to focus on different issues. And you are specifically on the Courts and Judiciary, the Indiana Behavioral Health Commission, and the Commission of Hispanic and Latino Affairs. So I'm curious, do you have any plans coming up with these committees? Um, yeah, I'm, wait I'm patiently waiting for a few of them to start. And so I'm really excited about my time to serve on both the commission and the um, the interim study committee. Uh, I was on courts uh, at the regular legislative session, so I'm looking to continue to expand my knowledge there. I have found um, that I quite enjoy it, and so I'm you know was thrilled with the appointment. Uh, we've started the good work at the Latino Commission, and so um, it, you know the Hispanic Commission of Latino Affairs, et cetera, and and I'm excited about that uh, just because. Latinos are one of the fastest growing or the fastest minority growing group in our state. And obviously that is my cultural background and heritage. And so I think about how we can accurately um, present the needs of this community forward and keep thinking about the, the needs that they have. Um, we have a large uh, agricultural um, infrastructure in our state. And I think about who helps harvest all of the agriculture Many times it is my migrant farm workers who come to our state and um, how can we show them Hoosier hospitality? Can we ensure that they have safe living conditions? Can we ensure that their children have access to great public schools? Can we ensure um, that they have, you know, adequate needs they're met and that they're being paid, paid a fair wage? You know, so there are a tremendous amount of, um, you know, nonpartisan, bipartisan initiatives that can be highlighted um, to show that Indiana is a welcoming place for everyone. That's incredible. I'm excited for all the incredible things you do with those committees and so excited. So stay tuned, everyone in Indiana specifically, to see those changes. 
Um, and that kind of covers your three main areas, but I do love to leave with a thought-provoking question. So we got a fun question of the day to start with a thought-provoking question to end. So for this question, it's kind of broad, but I'm curious, what legacy would you like to leave on earth? I love that question. Well, I hope I'm leaving three legacies on earth. Um, I think, you know, what my colleagues in the state house would quickly tell you is that my most prized role is um, my role as a mother. And I really continue to put my own children first. Um, I knew that entering into this political space would require a large amount of adjustment for my family. Um, but there were some things for me that are actually non-negotiable. So I still want to be the mom that's in the stand. Uh, you know, cheering on um, each one of her kiddos at their sporting and activity events. I still want to be deeply involved um, in, in their journey uh, to becoming an adult and their next phase of life. I have a kiddo who's, you know, her next step is going to be college next year. And so just being readily available, you know, in those uh, witching hours of the night between 10 and 11, when she wants to tell me all of her uh, dreams, aspirations, and, you know, pitfalls in life, I want to be there. Um, because if I'm not there, then somebody else will be. And so I, I, you know, I have one shot with my kids, and I have such a limited time that uh, they really come first. And so school conferences and school activities and things that they have going, I try to be there, um, even though I, you know, have responsibilities at quite a few different, you know, things around our state. And obviously, I love spending time with my constituents. And so you'll often see them with me at events and um, gatherings and stuff. And so I discussed that people be kind to my kids, they didn't ask for this. Um, and so uh, you know, being mindful that I have a family too, and I, I have three legacies that I'm really pouring into. And, and that is that will, at the end of the day, be my biggest contribution to society is raising three good humans. Wow, I absolutely love that. And that is so incredible. I've definitely seen all the pictures of your beautiful family and keeping them around. And I can imagine you in the stands yelling as loud as possible for them. So incredible. And I just really just want to end by taking the time to really thank you, Victoria. I know you're super busy doing all of these things, balancing politics with being a mother, but I really appreciate you sharing how you flourished in politics and motherhood and how you also help other Hoosiers flourish and take that next step. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who also tuned into this episode. Be sure to check out our next episode on Thursday. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.